the project. Kuwait. Learn. Have you ever wondered if there are physiological differences between the Kuwaiti client and the Western client? Well, in today's episode, I am sitting down with Jennifer Allen. She is a physical therapist based here in Kuwait out of Canada. She brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. So stick around and listen to this episode because I guarantee you next time you walk into your physical therapist's office, you're going to look around and see what their credentials are. What do I mean by that? Without further ado, here's my interview with Jennifer Allen. All this and more in today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Project. And today I am joined by Jennifer Allen. She is a local physiotherapist at one of our leading physiotherapy facilities here in Kuwait. She has treated me in the past, and I can definitely say she's awesome by all means. Uh, I came to you with a torn labrum, right? Mm -hmm. That was the first time I came in when I tore my right labrum. You know, you kind of got me back up to 100%, you along with Rob Scalacci, who's also on the show. He's been on here before, so. (laughs) (laughs) so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure, and I'm excited for this project to see it coming into fruition. I'm a physiotherapist from Canada, and I've been in Kuwait for almost 11 months. And I've done a bit of international work prior to this, along with work in Canada. So I've worked in Mexico and Nepal before. Oh, wow, Nepal. How was that? It was incredible. Yeah, I was working with uh, earthquake victims and training local physiotherapists to be able to improve their skills and be more efficient with the physiotherapy care for earthquake victims. Oh, wow. That must have been that must have been tough. Actually, it wasn't that tough. It was more fun than anything. Oh, that's amazing. That's good. So you didn't have to deal with any like scary cases or? No. And it was eight to 10 months post earthquakes and post trauma. There were a lot of fracture cases and that didn't matter. The outcomes were still very good with physiotherapy. So I was shocked about that because I had never treated patients that far out. Okay, that's amazing. So, I mean, could you say that's part of why you got into physiotherapy? You just like helping people or why do you, why'd you, why'd you really get into the physiotherapy side of it? I actually was a personal trainer first, which I loved. And I was working with athletes and um, the average person as well in the community. And I found that I wasn't able to help them as much as I wanted because I only knew, I had only learned about normal conditions. So people without injuries. So I decided that I need to go back to school to learn about pathology and study injuries and how to help people more with injuries because I discovered that most people have injuries. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) Yeah. That's very true. That's amazing. So you were a personal trainer before. Mm -hmm. I never knew that. Like I've I've been to your office so many times and I never knew you used to be a person. So you probably looked at me and been like, this guy's such an idiot. No. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, coming in there, I'm like, yeah, I tore my labrum, but I'm still bench pressing. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting background. How do you think it's helped you having the, you know, the personal trainer background and then mixed in with the physical therapy background, like, because dry needling and all that, like, so how, how do you think that's helped you as a physical therapist? Well, I guess we all love torturing people, as you know. (laughs) Uh, So that's a a theme. But no, it just provided a really solid background to be able to go into physiotherapy, understanding biomechanics and exercises and strength training and the whole process behind it. It was like 
a big advantage to go in with that. Oh, okay. That's amazing. Now, with I have a question on biomechanics. I know that's not on our list of questions, but <laughs> since we're on that topic, I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna ask about it just before we jump into everything else in this episode. Now, when it comes to biomechanics, you get a lot of physical therapists that try and teach someone to, you know, always retract back or do something. Now, every one of us is built differently, so mm-hmm. to speak. So how do you feel about that when you get a or when you see a physical therapist say, No, you have to do it this way and there's no other way to do it? Do you alter movements based on a person's physical ability, so to speak? That is a really good question. I hope it was clear. So, Yeah, a few things come to mind. So there is a school of thought for certain uh, physiotherapist courses where you would be taught that you should be perfectionist with how you're doing all sorts of exercises. And to a certain extent, I strive to be able to get my patients to have neutral spine posture so that they're less at risk for injury. And we can talk more about that later. But on the other side of it is that if it's not broken, don't try and fix it. So I've been in courses um, in Australia where they're showing us videos of marathon runners that have horrible biomechanical technique, but they don't have any pain. So each person needs to be cared for in their own individualized way. And maybe they're functioning well as they are. Maybe they don't want to change their posture. I have a lot of patients that do come in. They do want to work on their posture for other reasons, not just the physical pain, confidence, and and other things. So does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it definitely does. <laughs> I mean, being, being, being a baseball player, you know, my right shoulder rolls completely forward, you know, because I've just thrown so many baseballs in my yeah. life. And like, I get it. And as much as I try to retract that side, it's never the same as my left. And I can always see the difference when I'm bench pressing. But, and you've pointed out the difference. We've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've definitely <laughs> talked about it. And I was good about doing all my exercises, but not, not really. Ever since I got into the CrossFit thing, <laughs> kind of went out the window. It's like, you know, I'm trying to prevent myself preventative injury, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really work. <laughs> So now we talked a little bit about the biomechanics. What about if you were to compare Canada or people in Canada, their body structures, how would you compare them physiologically to the Kuwaiti person? We're usually smaller, built a little different. In my opinion, I think we're built a lot different mm-hmm. than people in the Western society. And mm. it's, it's just, it's a question that I've always had for a physical therapist. Like mm. when you treat a Canadian or an American or someone from the West compared to a Kuwaiti or an Arab, because we're definitely a lot smaller, shorter, I'd say also. People are probably going to hate me for that one, but <laughs> it's true. I mean, do you notice physiological differences between both in terms of like, I don't know, spinal curvature, some cool jargon that you guys know? <laughs> yeah, I was actually wondering if you want me to use the more medical terms or more layman's terms. I'd say use medical and layman's. Okay. If there's something that I don't think a- the average person won't understand, I'll definitely ask you. Okay. <laughs> I, if I don't understand it, they're not going to understand it, hopefully. so. <laughs> okay. So I was thinking about this question earlier. I thought it was a good question. The thing that I've noticed, and I interestingly, I didn't notice the tall or short part. I guess I'm not looking for that. But I have noticed that a lot of women come in with increased lumbar lordosis or lumbar curve. And then... So what is, what is that? Like, how would, how would someone know if they had that? It tends to be people that are more hyperflexible. Okay. And in general, and also I'm not doing a proper study and sampling things, but the patients that I've seen, 
tend to be hyper flexible compared to a Canadian person, especially female. So they're more flexible. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. And more flexible people need more stabilization. So a lot more controlled movement training to be able to control that extra movement that they have. And also that leads to potentially for some clients, an anterior derangement of the lower back. So a lot of people, especially that work at desks, they need to bend backwards a lot to compensate for the hunching that they're doing okay. throughout the day if they're not using lumbar support or just in general, we tend to be a bit more hunched when we sit. Mm-hmm. And the people that are hyperflexible in the lower back, they tend to need more flexion or bending forwards multiple times to alleviate their back pain. Okay. So I've seen this probably in Canada over eight years. I saw it maybe three or four times. And here I've seen it probably eight times in 11 months. Okay. Clearly. Wow. Wow. So I'd say that that's the main difference that I've noticed is hyperflexibility. And from a Pilates teacher, my colleague over at ARC, uh, we've chatted a lot about feet and how because people tend to drive a lot here and there's not as many opportunities to walk due to infrastructure and other <laughs> that is, things. That is very true. If you listen to our <laughs> diabetes episode, part two, that we, we get into that with uh, one of the experts that comes from abroad. He okay. was like, you guys don't have any infrastructure. There's no walkways, nothing. So I can imagine how, how bad it is for a physiotherapist yes. to see that. But yeah, so, sorry, not to cut you off. No, <laughs> she, she talks a lot about how the feed on a lot of her clients are collapsed. And I do, I can corroborate that in the clinic that this is very common, that the arches are less developed, the muscles that hold up the arches of the foot are less developed because of not having to walk as much. So when you say collapse, that would be like, if I were to give a the, the listener a visualization, so to speak, yes. it would be when your big toe, the inside part of your feet collapse inwards and the outer part of your foot is kind of almost lifted off the ground a little bit, yes. so to speak. So you wouldn't really have a true, true balance, almost kind of like, what is it, bow-legged? No, not bow-legged. That's... Well, uh, I mean, it, it would, would be... be the opposite knocked okay. knee at the All right. at okay. the level of the knees. Okay. Exactly. All and right. we call that pronation at okay. the foot. All right. So, yeah, I'll, I'll ask those. Don't worry. <laughs> so that's really interesting that you've seen that. And look, at the end of the day, I know that you have, like, there hasn't been a lot of studies and there's not a lot of data that's collected here in Kuwait, but... You see patient after patient on a daily basis. And yes. I think that's the best experience to gather from. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike some of the Instagram buddies that are too busy posting things <laughs> versus, you know, actually treating people. You know, and I, I've, I got into this funny ar- argument slash discussion with another physiotherapist and it was a more of a discussion. And I was like, yeah, you know, the physiotherapists that are actually working all the time, they're the ones who I want to talk to because they're the ones seeing the most patients. And that's an an incredible observation because it kind of relates to a lot of things that I've seen in the society. And, you know, I've, I've seen my wife's flexibility, you know, my flexibility, I'm pretty Mm. flexible for a guy my age. I could get into a full squat, you know, I could probably do a bridge if I needed to. So it's, it's a very interesting point. What are some other physiological differences? I mean, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't make it to Salmiya. So I went and saw a different <laughs> physiotherapist. Sorry. <laughs> but it was convenient. <laughs> so she was looking at my arm. I had some elbow pain. And she was like, your your elbow's too flexible. She kind of pulled it, bent it back this way. And she's like, your elbow's extremely flexible. I said, isn't that a good thing to have, you know, an increased range of motion? And she said, at times, yes. But mm-hmm. at other times, no. Mm-hmm. Because that will lead to instability. 
on the ligaments, so forth and so forth and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what do you think about all that? Do you think that we should be training ourselves in that range of motion a little bit so that we can gain stability? Or should we just stick to one end range of motion and not go past it? Sorry, I know we're going all over the place here. but (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm thinking of one of my really close friends who's a yoga teacher, and she's always training at end range. And I've also seen basically hyper-flexible people. What I've recommended and what's been the most successful to what I've from what I've seen with my clients is going within normal range of motion or just slightly over, but not going to that beyond range of motion because it's really hard for the muscles to control that range. And if you do want to be functional in that hyper-flexible range of motion, it's required to train in that range of motion. Makes sense. Kind of like a gymnast. Exactly like a gymnast. Yeah, they probably have the worst joints in the world. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now any other differences you see in between a Western patient and, you know, a a Kuwaiti or an Arab patient, so to speak, you know, besides them, you know, besides us being a little bit shorter in stature. And I mean, we're not all short. My father's 6'4". So (laughs) it was my mother, the American, who was short. (laughs) (laughs) Those would be the major ones, Mahadi, that I've seen. Um, Body composition. We could go there. Yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole different topic. But yeah, actually, that's a, that's a really good one. I mean, we're going to circle to that later. We're going to get to that one later on when we talk about movement a little bit. But I mean, when we talk about body composition, how far? What what is the biggest difference that you see between us and the Western or even the global patient? Because mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of people around. So, like, yeah, one thing I have noticed in people that are quite inactive is that the muscle mass itself is quite a bit less. Okay. So there's a lot of fat mass. And of course, that's a concern because we know that with aging, you're going to lose muscle mass if you don't maintain it. So let's say if a person's in their 30s or even 40s and they're already losing a lot of muscle from not loading the joints on a daily basis due to an inactive lifestyle, that's going to become quite dangerous with aging. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. We also have this issue in Canada as well, but I think it's more extreme here with the elevators and the homes and the yeah, no lack yard, of sidewalks. No yard work. <laughs> yeah, no yard work and lack of physical labor and just lack of loading of the body in general. And what does that do to joints? I mean, it, obviously it's got to degrade joints, but you know, how much worse is it if you're not moving at all? Yeah, and I, I know I'm probably, this is something that that's probably pulled out of studies, but I'm sure through your experience and everything, you should probably give yeah. listeners an idea of if you're not moving enough, you know, are they going to see more issues by the age of 50? Like they can't reach up into the cupboard or, you know, what's, what's your experience uh, from that perspective? Yeah. So in physio, we have a saying, motion is lotion. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, joints get nutrition by moving. So the gymnast that's hyper-flexible and it's moving all over the place, her joints are actually doing quite well because they're moving through range of motion very regularly. So when people don't go through range, the joint inside it adapts and the areas that aren't being moved through aren't getting nutrition. So as a person that's, say, 25 years old and they come in, they haven't been moving through range of motion and their hip's not functioning properly and there's pain, let's say growing pain, we can turn that around quite quickly with some repeated movements in the direction they haven't been moving. But say a person in their 50s, 60s that hasn't been moving, 
there's been a lot of adaptation internally, and it's a lot harder. We have to work physically a lot harder to get that nutrition and that lubrication inside the joint again. It makes sense. Like if you have an injury, the worst thing you could do is just sit there and do nothing. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and we could talk. We could talk about Nadim. I mean, no, no one's really going to know him except for like family, but. Um, Nadim is a cousin of mine. I recommended him to come and see you mm-hmm. because he had what two or three doctors tell him that he had a slip disc in his neck. He will never lift weights again. I'm assuming one of them said that, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And the other two said he needed surgery. And it was this, he was, he was terrified, absolutely mm-hmm. terrified when he called me. He was almost in tears. Yeah. And I said, look, you need to go, go to Fozzie Sulpon. If Jennifer's not there, just see someone else. There's smart people <laughs> over there. And, yeah, you know, he he was like, you know, he was thanking me. So you want to talk about that and when we should take it, take things, take it with a grain of salt from yes. a doctor here, especially because I don't think doctors, especially orthopedic doctors in Kuwait, I don't think they're caught up. I really don't. And I've seen it, you know, time and time again, when I tore my left labrum, four doctors here said I needed surgery. Mm-hmm. One doctor in the state said, hey, I'm going to give you a cortisone shot. Here's your physical therapy. Do this for three months. Try rehab. Try first. rehab first. Go that route. If it doesn't work and all else fails and you can't, you still can't swing a baseball bat pain free, then you go the route of surgery. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I've seen this time and time again here. And I think the, the issues are multifaceted. In Canada, we have a public health care system and we're trying to streamline and eliminate unnecessary medical tests because we're all paying for them with our tax dollars. And also we have big wait lists. So a couple of years ago, I took a course that allowed me to be able to request imaging. So x-rays, MRI, and ultrasound. And you have to, we have a special rule in the province that I'm from, Alberta, where you can be on a roster to be able to request this imaging. And there's been research about how if physios are allowed to do this, the rate that they actually request imaging is quite low. And it's been studied in Australia, Canada, and um, the U.S., especially with the U.S. military. So a couple of provinces have gotten on board with this in Canada. But what I'm seeing here is the opposite, that business is actually linked to requesting more tests, whether they're required or not. And in Canada, we have various set guidelines from radiologists where they actually lay out perfectly for clinicians based on research when it's required to have a test, an x-ray, an MRI, CT scan, ultrasound, they're all clearly listed. So every time a patient comes in with imaging, I try and spend a few minutes talking about whether or not that would have been a required or a recommended test in Canada for that same condition or not. And most of the time here, I'm finding that in Canada, it wouldn't have been appropriate to request that imaging. And of course, there's going to be doctors in Canada that are requesting too many tests as well. And part of that's due to liability or maybe the patient's pressuring them. But certainly there's a movement towards not treating the imaging results. Okay. All right. That's that's interesting. That's very interesting. So we, we've kind of moved towards the business side in Kuwait, so to speak. It appears to be that way. And it's very concerning because... If it's an MRI, okay, it's a magnetic test, and maybe it's not good for claustrophobic people, but there's no side effects per se. But then when you have a CT scan or an X-ray, people are being exposed to to radiation, radiation, and that's a risk. So I always try and spend time on that with my clients. Wow, wow. 
I mean, I never really thought about the whole X-ray thing, but you're right. And my wife's yelled at me time and time again. Like, you don't need, you don't need so many X-rays. You know, that's radiation. Mm-hmm. So that, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I mean, with the doctors here though, do they, do you think they're behind in your opinion? I mean, you just, you, you're, you're, re- you recently came from Canada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've been exposed over there to the different doctors and everything here. And I know this might be a touchy question because mm-hmm. there are some really good orthopedic doctors in Quake. There are some mm-hmm. excellent ones. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are others that are like, no, don't move. Can you talk about the, the don't move uh, strategy and actually how it can be detrimental to someone at recovering or in the recovery phase after right. an injury? Yeah, certainly. I think that a lot of the research that has come out in the last 20 years, probably the medical schools all over the world, haven't been fully updated on that. So now there's a lot of research where there's been a study of normal people, quote unquote, that don't have pain to see what their images actually look like for like a lumbar MRI or cervical MRI, various things. And what we found is that pain and what we see on imaging are actually not completely related. Okay. So maybe you have five disc bulges in your lower back that are quite bad on the image And we would expect you to barely be able to walk based on that, but you might not have any pain and you're functioning perfectly. So we have a lot of this research and there's actually a whole school of thought and group of people in Australia who are fighting back against the over-imaging. And they've created a website called PainEd, I believe, where they're educating the public on, no, it's safe to move again. Your tissues aren't damaged um, because it's very traumatic for patients and it's hard as a physio to watch or to try and recuperate and bring that person back to how they were in terms of their sensitivity level prior to having this image result given to them and then the subsequent recommendations that may or may not have been appropriate. Uh, that's, and that's, that's, that's so true. I mean, being on the other side of it, you know, being a, a desk worker, sitting at a desk all day. When I tore my left labrum, I literally had almost all the doctors here say, oh, you can never bench press again because mm-hmm. you'll tear it again. Or you can't do this. And it's like, dude, but if I don't train in that range of motion, I'm never going to get it back. It's going to get worse as it, well, yeah. And the guy, the guy that also tore his labrum, a guy that I know pretty well, tore his labrum, had the surgery done, and his range of motion is not past his like He can't get his right. hand past past his forehead. So it's like, but now I'm like, you know, I can swim. I can, you know, throw my arms all over the place with the, without a problem. And I think it's, it's another thing where here they're so quick to put people under the knife. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the surgery aspect of it? I mean, I'm, I'm giving my perspective of, I think surgery is a last resort and you actually do end up losing range of motion and probably some stability, I'm assuming. Yeah. So again, going back to research, Now we have research studies um, showing the results of physio versus surgery and the outcomes. And oftentimes rehab is either more effective or just as effective as surgery. So that's why in Canada we start with physio and that's often on those radiologist uh, requirements. It's often that you've failed physiotherapy. You've tried it for like six to eight weeks. So, yeah, the surgical component, I've seen surgeries uh, in Canada and here where I've questioned whether, why didn't they try physio first and these things. But again, when the model is that 
the person that's offering the surgery, the the doctor, the surgeon is getting financially compensated if the client is getting that surgery, then already the system is biased. That's true. So in Canada, most of the time we're trying to delay or just avoid surgery that the surgeons in Canada, they're fully booked. Wow. Wow. So because it's a public system. Yeah. So it's a completely different. Which has its pros and its cons. It has its pros and its cons. You have to wait for an MRI. Yeah, well, you you got to yeah. wait here too in Kuwait. If you're going through the public public side of things, you definitely right. have to wait. You have a long wait. I actually saw, st- I read a study, I think it was last year, that mm-hmm. it was a crazy amount, like 70% of people who had surgeries on their knees um, actually didn't need the surgery. This is a new thing that's come out regarding meniscal tears. Yes. All right, good. Yes. I'm glad you read the same study, I'm assuming. <laughs> There's Unfortunately, quite a bit of research I, on I, I read a lot of studies, so sometimes I'm just like, all right, <laughs> I don't remember the name of the study, but I do know the stats. So. so meniscal tears are one of them where in the knee, and again, many people have a tear and they don't know about it. They don't have any symptoms, but they found that the results, and it's mainly, I think, middle-aged women. Um, I'd have to pull up some studies, but that if they get the surgery, they're no better after a certain time period than the people that haven't gotten surgery. So very specific results-driven physiotherapy can be very beneficial, in, especially in these cases, Okay, to right. avoid surgery. So what are some of the most common injuries in Kuwait <laughs> that, that you've seen in the past year? What are some of the most common injuries that you've seen besides torn labrums? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, um, let's divide it into athletes and non-athletes. Okay, yeah. And can we divide it also into male and female? Because I think a, there's a large side of, you know, there's a, there's a big gap in terms of knowledge for females in Kuwait, especially for the Kuwaiti woman or the Arab woman mm-hmm. in general. So if we could break it down in that way, that would, that would be great. Sure. Okay, maybe I'm going to disappoint you here, but I don't know that there's a big difference in the non-athletes for men and women. Okay, that's that works. That's fine. That's totally fine. There's a lot of neck and back uh, pain patients. I was going to say, come. we don't have a lot of athletes in Kuwait. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's a lot of yeah. inactivity as yeah. well. So people come in with what we call radiculopathy, pain going from the neck down the arm, down the shoulder blade, sometimes down to the fingers, sometimes including numbness or not. It's very common. And the same thing with the lower back. Lower back pain that may or may not be radiating down the legs. Okay. That's the most common. And I I believe that that's mostly related to inactivity and sitting for prolonged periods at a desk. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Now let's let's tackle lower half. Okay. And then we'll move up to the, the, the upper half. <laughs> now lower half, um, now there's sleepy butt syndrome. Yeah, that's a big term. It's a term being thrown around a lot right now. Now, can you talk about what happens when people are you know, just inactive for a prolonged period of time. Because in Kuwait, we tend to sit at home, have our breakfast, go out, we sit in the car for another mm-hmm. 20 minutes. We get to the avenues, all right? I'm using I'm using live <laughs> examples here. So we get to the avenues. We'll say we're getting our exercise and walking for 15 minutes. Right. And then we sit down and have coffee for three hours. Right. So what happens physiologically to our, you know, our joints, our back? You know, is it because we're rounding of the lower back? Is it stretching those muscles out? Is it because we're hyper arched? I mean, can you go into that a little bit just so Mm -hmm. people can kind of understand what we're doing with the prolonged sitting? Sure. When you sit, depending on your posture, as I I, I, I sit sit straight up, (laughs) 
if your back is curved, so if you're a bit more hunched, your lower back, then there's going to be some pushing on the front of the structures between the bones, so the discs, Okay. in a backwards direction. Okay. And then you have a ligament that holds them in the back part of that. I'm going to guess here. The psoas? No. No. Right. That's a muscle. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a good guess. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so the, the ligament, every structure has its own physical limits. So mm. if it's in that position for many hours a day where it's being strained, of course, over time, it's going to lose that elasticity okay. from neutral. There's that effect on the between the bones itself, the discs and the ligaments. And then the muscles themselves... Of course, if you're sitting in a chair, you're not loading your body. So there's no effort of the muscles. The atrophy goes on. This is all contributing to the So your, your muscles muscle turn, you, for, for the, in layman's terms, your muscles mm-hmm. turn into mush, which turn into <laughs> basically. basically nothing being there. <laughs> <laughs> this is your pep talk for the masses to get active. I know, right? I know. This is this is like I think this is the point of the, the entire show. It's like something we always talk about. It's a reoccurring theme, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's funny because here we say, okay, get active, but then people will just go overboard and they'll do crazy stuff like you know, PX ninety or insanity or CrossFit. Right? Nothing wrong with CrossFit if you have <laughs> if you have a good coach. There's not because people people like killed me on the yes. whole CrossFit thing. So, oh. yeah. Well, I mean. I'm one of the I love to hate CrossFit. Yes. I do love the sport, but people think I hate it. So I got to defend that. No, mm. I love CrossFit. It's, mm. it's great for like people to get active and it actually increases mobility. You know, if you have yes. a good coach, if you have a good trainer, if you're doing the exercises properly and you have the right range of motion to be able to do the exercises, which comes back to your trainer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hit on uh, tight hamstrings. Because that, I've heard that could be a cause of lower back pain too. Is that true? Or is that like a lot of fictional talk from different physiotherapists? Okay, so if you picture yourself in sitting, to go back to the the position of sitting and how that affects the body. So our hips are in a flexed position. Our knees are bent up to nine, our hips are bent up to 90 degrees. And if you picture the inside of the joint, a certain portion of the joint's getting nutrition in that position. But the opposite side of the joint, where you would be in hip extension, so kicking your leg backwards, okay, isn't getting as much nutrition. Ah, that makes so much sense. That makes so much. The light sense. bulb went on. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did for me because, like, when I when when I'm stretching before I work out, mm-hmm. you know, I'll I'll basically get into a prayer position. You know, here when you're when you're down on your knees and you're basically in a prayer position, I'll arch back and sort of you know point my hips up, trying you know get extend my hips up, and I get this really good stretch. Right in between like my, my hip bone and my quads. Mm-hmm. And then my lower back pain has gone. It's amazing. It's like, you know, and it lasts for about half an hour and just goes right back to <laughs> where it is after I trash it in my workout. But <laughs> So, yes. So the hamstrings, it's a two joint muscle. So it starts at the butt and goes down below the knee in the back. So because your knee is in a bent position, that part of the hamstring gets shorter over time if you're always sitting. Okay. So this is why most people need to do exercises where their leg is straight and also where your hip is into a more of an extension position because those are the least used parts of the body, especially with prolonged sitting. Okay. All right. Well, let's move up into the upper half of the body. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the shoulders, the neck area. What are some of the most common injuries that you see there? Is it typically upper cross syndrome? 
So, and can you explain upper cross syndrome? Yeah. So upper cross syndrome is a term basically where the pecs are tight and the lower fibers of traps are the, also the rhomboids are all lengthened and weakened. Definitely not me. I do not have tight pecs. <laughs> or like, and I, not after know. dry needling. <laughs> I know, right? And like to everybody out there, dry needling, I thought it was the <laughs> biggest load of like BS. But when I tried it, I was like, oh my God, this is one <laughs> thing that is that is actually working for me. So yeah, sorry, not to cut you off. <laughs> but I'm giving so, you I'm pitching you a little ad right there. <laughs> yeah, you you've booked in for a full hour of dry needling a few times. Yes, I have. That's, definitely. Yeah. You love being tortured. <laughs> it's it's but it's the one thing that has worked on my body. Like the, you know, I've had ART done. I've had, you know, deep tissue massages. I've had ice. Ice doesn't do anything for me. Like ice makes the situation a lot worse versus heat works for me. And I think every person is different. Everyone mm-hmm. is just completely different. It's based on your body and yeah. what works for you. So it's like um, dry needling is just definitely worked for me. But sorry, go back to like the upper cross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is one way of describing what happens to a lot of people. Basically, you can picture your shoulders rounding forward, your pec muscles shortening, and at the neck, you're hunching forward. So what happens is there's a lot of strain in the mid-neck around C5-6. And then those nerves... C5-6 is like what? Right below the ear or... Yeah, so below the ear. Basically, if you hunch your back up, the upper back, and then bring your neck forward where there's a crease there. Okay, all right. And so with that, there's a lot of strain on that area of the nerves coming out. So when the nerves are squeezed per se... Um, that's when you get the referred pain down to the shoulder blades, down the arms, sometimes in the front of the shoulders can go anywhere. So that's the most common thing that I see. And just general neck tension, upper trap tightness, stress is a big thing here and lack of ways of expressing oneself in a healthy manner. So a lot of it gets bottled up into the body. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I've always thought that with when I get my traps dry needled, and you can attest it, I'm in so much pain and agony. But then once they like, I get the needle in each side, which has to be like three weeks apart, because okay? it's just so much pain. I do not want to deal with it. I mean, I, I actually, I feel a huge sigh of relief, especially with the trap area. So I'm assuming a lot of stress is built up there. And how common is it here in Kuwait? Do you see that a lot? Like where people are just overstressed and their body's crying out because that's what a lot of it comes down to. If you're stressed and that, you know, if you're mentally stressed, your mm-hmm. body's going to get stressed and then you're going to put more stress on your joints, your muscles and everything else. And mm-hmm. it's just not, nothing's going to work properly. So do you see that a lot too, where people's life stresses turn into their injury? Yes. I see it an incredible amount here. Yeah. And I think because of so many things, the lack of infrastructure to get a regular exercise and um, lack of different social supports to a certain extent and acceptedness of different mental health supports. It's huge here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, and people just don't have, you're right, they don't, mental support is, I mean, it's almost non-existent in Kuwait. And I think it's tragic because there are a lot of people that need it, especially kids that are in their youth that don't mm-hmm. know how to express themselves here. 
And you know, I hope it's something that we can catch up on. And I think Kuwait's moving along in that direction right now, but yeah, it's just, I mean, that's, that's, a t- that's definitely a topic for another. <laughs> that's another, a whole other session that, that with def- a phys- uh, psychologist <laughs> or, or, or shrink. <laughs> Let me annoy them already. <laughs> To help listeners a little bit, if they suspect they have a bulging disc, or we hear the number one thing doctors love to say in Kuwait, which mm-hmm. is you have disc. Yes. We all have discs. Yes. Thank you for <laughs> stating that. <laughs> we all have discs. You have many discs. <laughs> yes. But how can they know? Because I've always got guys at work that are, you know, they're, they're typically overweight, mm-hmm. sit all day, and they're always saying they're on a diet. Right. And they're like, oh, I don't lose any more weight. I'm like, well, you need to exercise. And he goes, no, 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 no. I have a disc. Yeah, I have a disc too. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do you mean you have a disc? He goes, yeah. I have a disc. The doctor said I have a disc. I can't exercise. There's instilled fear there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what are some of the signs of a bulging disc? You know, so people can actually, so they'll know. So they're not making it up in their head. Right. I think the first thing to look at is can you move your body freely through full range of motion? And of course, a physiotherapist is going to be able to assess this in a preventative manner, which is, I think, the direction everyone needs to move towards is coming to physio for a checkup to see where you're at prior to doing a lot of heavy exercise or just general life, what can be worked on. For a disc that's causing a significant amount of uh, squeezing on the nerve or impingement, there's different things that we look for as physios. So we're looking for neurological symptoms such as numbness and tingling weakness, and then radiating pain. So, But as a general person, you don't need to be worried about this. I think the best thing to do is just book an appointment, see a physio, get fully checked, and put your mind at ease if you think that you do have a disc pathology that's limiting you in some manner. So what are some options for someone that can't afford a physio? Or that doesn't have, they don't have insurance, so right. to speak. Because there are people there like are that. barriers, yeah. And they'll go to the government hospital. Mm-hmm. And they'll go see, you know, the guy that graduated in 1950, <laughs> who still has, you know, there's cobwebs on the book. <laughs> so, and he'll <laughs> say, you have a disc. So what can they, I mean, what, what are some of the signs and symptoms that they can look for in layman's terms that they can probably spot with a blind eye? It's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's right there staring at them. Is there like, can they feel like their spine? Is there going to be a bump there or anything? Mm-hmm. Or is there going to be a certain range of motion they can't get into? Yeah, so the most common thing that happens is people bend over and then they can't straighten up. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, I only thought that was in movies. I never knew that, <laughs> no, really, I real never knew that really existed. It's a wow. real thing, yeah. Or they get bent to the side after that. Okay. So that just means that something's not moving properly in the lower back. Okay. So it's just a matter of getting it moving properly. But uh, you're right. You need to. People need to go to someone that they trust. And that is going to do a full assessment. Okay. All yeah. Right. I don't have a full solution to that. I think it's something that different organizations can strive towards here is being able to provide care for everybody in an accessible manner, regardless of income levels. Hopefully we're on our way that way. Yeah. But hopefully it's, it's something I, I think globally, it's mm-hmm. definitely everyone should be able to afford medical care. Yes. I think it's, you know, it's like clean clean water and food to eat. It's something that everyone in the world should be given. 
It's, it, you know, a it's, basic it's, right. it's a basic right. It really, it's come down to, it definitely is a basic right. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. It's, it, it's sad. And, you know, like, luckily, some people are able to come and see, you know, you versus going to the government hospital. And there are issues that go on in the government hospital. But for the most part, you know, a lousy hospital is great. I mean, I've heard a lot of people rave about going to a lousy hospital and they have some young doctors there. Because I, I don't want to just rip on Kuwait, you know, because there are some really good doctors mm-hmm. out there and there are some great facilities. We actually have um, top of the line facilities in the KOC hospital, I think, which mm-hmm. is out in Hamidi. Okay. You know, they have, a, they have one of the best physical therapy facilities in Kuwait from what I've understood. You know, the whole swimming pool thing and right. all that stuff, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And. It's just, I think uh, physiotherapy has come a long way in the last five years in Kuwait. Yes. And that's the thing that I keep trying to remind myself is that in Canada, we've had physio basically since the Second World War. And so that's like many, many years. Yeah. <laughs> you, Actually, guys, you guys have the experience. The Canadian Physiotherapy Association will be celebrating its 100th anniversary. Oh, wow. That's in 2020. amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. So it was actually before the end of the Second World War. But anyways... Physio is just growing up here in Kuwait yeah. more so in the last 20, 30 years or so, I believe. Yeah, it's it's gotten, it's really boomed up in the last five or six years. And I think with all the issues with diabetes, strokes, I mean, my grandmother, she, you know, she suffered a stroke four, five, four years ago, I think. And that's mm-hmm. when I really saw the differences in physical therapy in the United States right. and comparing it to Kuwait. Mm. And how lucky people are in the United States and in Canada and in parts of Europe that they are afforded these facilities. Right. Whereas we really don't have them. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big gap, but I think it's starting to close in Kuwait. That's good. Here's my other question. (laughs) Okay. This is going to be a little controversial. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. (laughs) All right. I'm going a little off topic here. What about the physical therapists that you see coming out in the gyms? Or some of these new physical therapists that you see, you know, highlighting themselves online and, you know, like what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think a lot of them are snake oil salesmen, in my opinion. And some of them are just, they're creating this fictitious view to people to go and try these movements that they're not ready for and they shouldn't be doing in the first mm-hmm. place because there's a progression to everything. So what do you think of all of that? Just out of curiosity. Well, I'm happy to know that physiotherapy is regulated. In Kuwait, um, I'd love to see it become more regulated, especially for certain practices such as needling. And um, and I'd love to see things like extra training for being able to request imaging, for example. Mm-hmm. And like that is regulated in Canada as well. But, you know, in Canada, we have a very strict exam process. So it's a, it's a multi-hour, I think it's four or five hour multiple choice test. And then if you pass that months later, you can take the practical exam and mm-hmm. it's a five hour, 16 station test with physios that are currently working, testing your skills on the whole gamut of physiotherapy. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So you guys go through a pretty, it's pretty... very rigorous. Wow. Wow. And stressful. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we know that the physios that we're working with have met the minimum criteria to be able to perform skills in Canada on patients. And beyond that, we have a registrar uh, that, that has an online list of the physios in each province 
and information about each physio, where they work and et cetera, for insurance companies as well, so that they can verify the claims. So I'd love to see Kuwait move towards more regulation. And I think that would also help educate the public about what the minimum standards are for physiotherapists in Kuwait versus people that are of different backgrounds of training and not necessarily a a certified program. The other thing is extra training when you finish physiotherapy school because physiotherapy school is really just the basics. I've done many different courses and uh, I've done international certification in McKenzie Mechanical Diagnosis and Therapy and that's what we did together. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which was very, very long, grueling. And it's like, <laughs> that's that's how I knew. I was like, okay, she's, she's a good physical therapist. She's going through everything. You literally went through everything. <laughs> And you're like, can you move this way? Can you move that way? And to me, those are signs of a good physical therapist versus, you know, I th- did I tell you about there was a guy on Instagram that everyone was raving about for a while mm-hmm. and he was recommended to me. I went, it was out of his apartment and he was, you know, his dry needling was involved. So I was kind of like, all right, I'm not too comfortable, but I'll give it a shot. Everyone's talked about him, raved about him. I had no issues, luckily, thank God. But I was definitely uncomfortable because he was like, oh, okay, all right. I know what it is exactly. Just lay on the table. I'll dry needle. You'll be done. That's how, that's how it went. There was no real physical exam. There was no, you know, does this hurt? Does that hurt? Can you go in that range of motion? So what should people look out for? So before they have a lung puncture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it all comes back down to regulation and having a body that's controlling these things and, you know, there's clean needle technique and a sterile environment. And so, what what if if I'm going in to get needled for, you know, my my first time, I'm going to go get needled. Mm-hmm. What should I look for with the person? I mean, he should be he or she should be taking the needles out of the packet, right? There should mm-hmm. be like a cracking of the seal, so to speak. All that stuff, correct? Mm-hmm. Cleaning of the skin, cleaning of their hands. Um, yeah, just a sterile environment. Okay. Clean needle technique, not using obviously previously used needles. Um, but yeah, I really think it's the government, the the Ministry of Health's role to step in at this point and, and they should be aware of what's happening and regulating it to make sure the public is safe. Because at the end of the day, it's the public yeah. who are getting treated. They've been doing a lot better. I mean, I know they've cracked down a lot on uh, the gyms who bring in these physical therapists mm. who some of these gyms, they're, they're just not qualified. Whereas other ones, you know, others are really qualified and they're really good. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's definitely something that I think is just going to, like you said, it's, it's just going to adapt further evolve. along. Yeah. It's going to mm. evolve later down the line. Yeah. And then I guess extra training and certifications. There's some certifications that are international and other ones that might be more local and certain uh, courses and different training um, opportunities. They have tests and other ones don't. So these are things that maybe the public isn't aware of. But as a physio, I'm always wanting to stand on my certifications. And, you know, as a McKenzie physio, we're taught that your client could be regardless of where they are in the world, they have this expectation, we have the expectation of you that this is going to be your assessment. You should be able to give them that paper and they should be able to go to any other McKinsey therapist and get, like, progress their treatment forward. Okay, that's awesome. What are some key questions that, you know, someone should look out for when they go to a new physical therapist? What, what, should, what should they be like, what should a checklist look like 
for me going to a physical therapist for the first time and some of the questions they might ask me. I know yes. I didn't talk to you about these questions, <laughs> no, it's fine. but they're kind of popping up and it's like, I, I want to try and help the listeners yes. as much as possible. So. so the time frame of the assessment is very important. Generally speaking, it should be at least 15 to 30 minutes discussion about uh, the history, what makes it better, what makes it worse, where is the pain in a very detailed manner. And uh, medical history is very important. Patient goals, getting everything into alignment so everyone's on the same page. Going into the physical assessment. So there's various parts to a physical assessment. It usually takes at least 20 minutes. and for me personally, I like to do a test retest. So there's a, let's say you want to know if you're going to have pain with your throat. So that's our baseline test. Then we do an intervention as a test and we see, is your throat any better, any less painful? I remember all those tests. You remember that? <laughs> I, definitely rem- <laughs> I definitely remember all those so tests. So there should be some form of test retest to verify what the issue is and what's going to help it. Or maybe it's going to be an ongoing testing process that you're going to have homework to complete, but there should be some ongoing assessment that's happening. Awesome. So to to wrap everything up, what is your current project? We're called the Project Kuwait. So like, what's your <laughs> current project? Well, recently I went with the Kuwait Scorpion rugby team. Oh, I totally forgot to talk about that. I'm so sorry. I meant to, I meant to ask you a bunch of questions no, about no, it's that. it's fine. Um, and it was so much fun. And uh, I was helping the team with their injuries and giving them physio between games and taping them up. I guess you could say that's kind of a project. So we're building the relationship between Fauzi Sultan and the Kuwait Scorpions. And I'm going to bring a bunch of people to their next game. Oh, that's so awesome. Do you want to come? Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely come. <laughs> can, I, can I interview their coach? I'm sure Aziz would, and Hussein would love to be on this I would, program. I'd, I'd love to get a couple rug, rugby guys on here. Liam, if, when, once Liam's back, I mean, he's a rugby player, so perfect. We, we could have like a, a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of jocks in the room, and I'm like the baseball player looking at the two, you know, the two or three rugby players. But that's awesome. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, that's it a good was project. A lot of fun. Yeah, was it yes. tiring? How many games did you uh, have to sit through? Uh, the men made it through five games. They oh, all wow. the way to the semifinals. They did amazing. And the women, I think it was three or four games that they had as well. So it was a lot of games, but it was just such a fun atmosphere that you didn't really feel the time. That's cool. That's great. Are you guys <laughs> going to be available for the Flair Fitness Festival in January? I'm not sure if that one's on our list, but I can check. Well, that would be great if it was on your list. I'm, I'm competing, so I'm definitely going to need to be you taped up, need needled up. Like, tweaking beforehand. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like, I'll be I'll be coming to see you the week before that because I'll need my, my like, tune-up every yeah. two weeks that I usually get, which I haven't gotten in the longest time. I just haven't yeah. had time. Because you've been perfect. I saw you doing handstands and oh, walking. No. I'm, and I was very impressed. Hey, I'm trying to work on the gymnastics. Rob's got me on the gymnastics side of things. Excellent. So it's like, yeah, I'm trying to keep things... In check, but I'm not at the gym right now because I am hurt <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> or, or re- recovering, so to speak. Okay. So, you know, hopefully I won't have to come and see you yeah. <laughs> unless it's for, you know, unless it's for a tune-up. But okay. um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.